this morning, I'd like you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 50, the last chapter of the first book of the Bible. Go to Genesis, go all the way to the end. For some weeks now, we have been sharing how, uh, from God's Word uh, how we are called to get serious about certain things. And let me just say about getting serious about certain things, we should be serious about certain things at all times, but particularly at challenging times, we need to be people to say what is really important and we need to be about that. We need to focus in on that. So I'm not going to review this morning all of the messages. I think this is the seventh in this series. You can go back on the website and you can listen to those or, or go to the podcast. You can, you can do that. But we've been looking at the, the things that we really need to get serious about. And, and, and let me be very clear that I, I know that many of you have, many of you listening here today uh, are, have been very serious about those things. So I, I in no way want to demean or diminish what you have done. I'm simply saying that it, it is good to sit down and say, what is serious? What is important? And what do we need to do? And so this morning, I encourage you to to gather with us as we gather around God's Word here in Genesis 50. This morning, I'm going to share about the urgency, the urgency of getting serious about our legacy. Uh, getting serious about our, our legacy. Our legacy. A legacy, just by way of definition, so we have a, uh, something with which to work. Our legacy is someone passing something valued onto someone else. Give that to you again. Our legacy is someone passing something of value on to someone else. It often happens when we die. A legacy is passed forward. It's often material. Legacies can be land, can be financial assets, can be treasured heirlooms. You don't need to raise your hands this morning, but how many of you have received, just to, you know, I mean, in your mind, how many have received some kind of a legacy of material value? You, you received it, or perhaps you will. It can also be a non-material. It can be a name, or a title, or a promise. But it's one generation. It is one generation intentionally passing something valuable to next generations. Get that. One generation intentionally making an effort, making a plan, purposely passing on something to a following generation. And that actually is happening here in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Um, the main person here in Genesis 50 is is Joseph, Joseph. Now, you, you perhaps remember Joseph. Joseph, uh, there's a lot of details given about him, particularly in the last one-third of the book of Genesis. He's one of the big characters in the book of Genesis. So it, it, some of you perhaps remember his story. We're first introduced to the young man uh, and the favored son and and then the big dreamer, and then the despised brother. Remember his story? 
And, and, and then we see the, the enslaved foreigner because he's taken away to a foreign land. And we see then the suffering prisoner for a long period of time. And, and, and then finally, finally we see the powerful ruler. It's an amazing story. If you've not read it, you really must. It's an epic story of God's faithfulness to a man who honors God with his entire life. That's Joseph. This is Joseph here in the very end of the book of Genesis. But by this chapter, by Genesis chapter 50, Joseph is old. And I mean by anyone's definition, he is old. Verse 22 says this, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his father's family. By the way, he had many brothers and they also are there. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Maker, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Now, pause there for a moment. You have to understand, at 110 years old, Joseph had lived to see a lot of things. And he lived long enough to see his sons, they're, they're mentioned here, he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So he has lived long enough to see both of his sons, but also his grandchildren, and even, it says here, his great-grandchildren. Now you think about this. Here's this man, if you know anything about his story, this was a man who for a, a long period of time, for about uh, 13 years, went through incredible hardship. And I like this one little end note to his life, that he lived to be 110 years old, and for the last many, 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 many years of his life, he, he got to enjoy all of these things, his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. When it says here that his descendants, you see the verse before you, when it says his descendants were placed at birth on Joseph's knees, it means that they were like his very own. Uh, it was something that they did. It, it, so you, if you can, picture this old man. He's sitting here, and not, not only were his children placed upon his knee, kind of a blessing, but also when his grandchildren were born, they were placed on his knee, and he blessed them. And then eventually his great-grandchildren were placed upon his knee, and this old, old, old man who had seen so much, but more than anything, had seen the faithfulness of God, he blessed them. But when it says here that they were placed on his knee, that implies strongly implies, I looked this up, that he had a very key role in their upbringing. It means that these, not only his children, but his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren were like his very own. It means that he had such an intentional purpose in their life that he treated them as, as immediate family, not just extended family. He affected what this tells us, what this, these, these, these few verses tell us is, is that Joseph affected his descendants three generations forward. Old man, he's still affecting, influencing his, genera his family three generations forward. Now look at verse 24. Joseph then said to his brothers, I'm about to die. 
But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now again, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Here's this man, 110 years old. Those persons that he mentions here in verse 24 were actually Joseph's ancestors, three generations back. Great-grandfather Abraham, grandfather Isaac, and his father Jacob. So again, get this, get this picture in your mind. Here is this old man. Joseph is remembering a promise made three generations back, and he's passing it three generations forward. Joseph here is declaring at the end of his life, he is declaring that the promise of God was not just for those before him, but for the generations that followed him. That's a powerful picture. It's something until recently I really even never noticed. I'd read through this, but here's this man who understands that what God did, God is doing, and I desire God to do later on. And finally, 110 very full years Joseph gave these instructions, verse 25, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. In other words, he's saying, when I die, don't leave me here in Egypt. When you return to the promised land, take my body with you. So the last verse of Genesis says that Joseph died, they, they embalmed, which means he's in Egypt. They mummified his body. And many years later, many, in fact, a few centuries later, the book of Exodus records his descendants carrying his embalmed body back to the promised land. You see, Joseph, uh, Joseph was, uh, read the story, Joseph was incredibly powerful in the land of Egypt. He was arguably for a time, maybe for the rest of his life from age 30 on, he was essentially the number two man in all of Egypt, answering only to the Pharaoh himself. So Joseph was powerful. Because of his position, he was also probably very, very wealthy. But the legacy, at the end of his life, the legacy that he took seriously the legacy that he was determined to pass to those who followed him was the promise of God. Did you ever notice that here in Genesis at the very end of it? He was a man who had much, a man who had done much, a man who had accomplished much, a, a, a man who perhaps himself had a title that he could pass forward but more than anything, he wanted to say, the promises of God that were before me and the promises of God that have been with me are the promises of God for those who will follow me. And so here I bring it down to you. I want you to imagine yourself as somewhere in that line of people. I... I I don't, I don't think anyone here today is 110 years old. If you are, 
meet me afterwards. <laughs> but you're somewhere on the spectrum of life, and all of us have those who've gone before us. Many of us have or perhaps will have those who follow after us. But is it your great desire above all anything else to pass on a legacy of someone who received, who experienced, and who passes forward the promises of God? If Jesus saved you this morning, the most important decision you can ever experience in your life is to give your life to Jesus Christ. It's the most single, most important thing that you will ever do. More important than where you go to college. More important than who you marry. More important than where you live. More important than what you do. More important than what you have. More important than what you give is who do you know. If you know Jesus Christ, glory to God. He has saved you. He has transformed you. He, he, you, he has redirected your ultimate destination from hell to heaven. Glory to God. If you're saved this morning, say amen. Thank God for it. But because of that, now you have a legacy to pass forward. If Jesus saved you and delivered you and sustained you, if, if, if the Holy Spirit has, he has empowered you, is it your great desire to see those who follow you experience the same? Now, I don't expect you to answer that out loud, but I do want you to answer it in your heart and in your mind. Is that one of your greatest desires? That when your days are done, when you breathe your last, that one of the last thoughts in your heart, in, in the, one of the last thoughts in your mind is, I pray that those who follow after me will know the Savior who has transformed me. That that be your, one of your greatest desires. Not just then, but now. I, I, I'm in my late 50s, and so I have lived long enough to know uh, multiple generations of families. Right? I, 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 have known, um, I have known people that are arrive, alive, I've known their, their great-great-grandparents, and I knew their great-grandparents, and I knew their grandparents, and I knew their parents, and I, I know them, and, and, and I have a lot, enough life now to see the generations and know the members of each generation. And I've seen things passed from one generation to the next. Often it's a very wonderful thing. I have seen uh, men and women of God who at some point surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, prayed over their children, prayed over their grandchildren, and perhaps even more, and to see them pass on a legacy of godliness. I have seen some of the, some of the most generous, giving, kind, patient people who, it wasn't a facade, it wasn't a... Uh, it wasn't just an image that they put on and took off, but I've seen that genuine thing in their hearts and their family saw it, and then when they're done, they, it's, it's like it's passed on. It, it, it's not passed on when, when they die, it's passed on during their lives, during their influence upon them. 
but they pass it on. And I, I, I see that older generation, and then I see the next generation. I go, wow, look what God has done. And then I see the next generation, and I go, look, man, I, I, I've seen that in, in previous generations. And then they, they just keep living it. They, they keep living their walk with Jesus Christ, and they influence each successive generation. It's like this wonderful, this, this wonderful linkage of a chain, one influencing the next, the next. I've seen, I've seen godly things passed from one generation to the next and to the next. Good things. I've seen the opposite. I've seen people, multiple generations, with one kind of a horrible hang-up, <laughs> We, we say it. Let's call it what it is. A, a sin, a bondage, a spiritual stronghold that was not given to the Lord Jesus Christ, that was not broken, and, and, and they pass it to the next. And then they live in that world, and that becomes how they view life. And then they pass it on to the next. I've lived, sadly, thankfully, I've lived long enough to sadly see generations can I say this, not just affecting, but infecting successive generations. And it's a sad thing to see. If you were to go back in that family line, you'll see that, that what this person right now is in bondage to, their, a generation before them was in bondage to, and, and the generation perhaps before them was in bondage to. This morning, I am not here in any way to put down or smear the reputation of those who've gone before. I'm not getting specific, and I'm not thinking of anyone specifically. But I've seen it, and perhaps you have, and perhaps some here this morning or some listening today you can look at the generations before you, and quite frankly, you did not receive a legacy of godliness. Again, please, in no way outwardly signify, but how many here can look back and say, I did not receive a legacy, I did not have that godly example I did not see it in my family. I did not see it in my home. I did not see it in my parentage or in my grandparentage. You did not receive a legacy of godliness. To the contrary. But here's the good news. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have reason to rejoice. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? That was the first message. We need to get serious about the cross of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are that person, you have reason to rejoice because the power of the cross broke something. The power of the cross broke that sin. It broke that spiritual stronghold, and it will not be passed forward by you. Glory to God. Some of you are shaking your head and you're going, yeah, I thank God. I saw it in the generations before me, but by God's grace, it's not going to affect or infect the generation that follows me. So you're not second class. If you're, if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, if you did not receive that, that, that legacy of godliness, you're not second class. You're first generation. 
glory to God. In my family's history, in my wife's family history, we can, we can identify the generations where wicked legacies were broken and were no longer perpetuated. I can, in my own family, I can go right, I can point to, I won't specify, but I could point to the generation where that's where the, the, the legacy of sin was broken, where, where that stronghold was broken. Now, I have since had other family members who have walked away from the faith, who've gone back into that, but, 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 but so many did not grow up in that spiritual stronghold because it was broken. My wife's family, we can look at the, we can pinpoint the very generation where Jesus came in and transformed a family, and that family was dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you can do the same. Maybe you can identify in your family the, the generation, yeah, oh, I heard the story. I hardly knew them, but I heard the story of how mom or dad or grandpa or grandma, how they came to Jesus Christ, and suddenly now Exodus chapters 20 started to be lived out in my life. So how's it going to happen? How does that happen today? How does this happen to where we, when we go or throughout our lives, that we pass on a legacy of godliness rather than of wretchedness? How does that happen? Two ways. First, through our words and through our example. What we say and what we do. Not just what we say and what we do, but because we're his, because he's working in us, because we're on this journey of discipleship, because he's continuing to, to deal with the rough edges and the, and the stuff in my life, because of his power, then what I say and what I do is different, and it affects the people around me. Listen to this. It's from Psalm 78. It says this. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Stop there for a moment. What, what the psalmist here is saying is that they could look back at previous generations they could look back and they said, what they have told us. You see that line there? What they have told us. In, in other words, somebody spoke the things of God over me. Somebody shared the good news of God before me. This was Old Testament, but, but we could say this today. Somebody shared Jesus Christ. From their generation, they shared what Jesus had done. And then it says things that we have heard and known. So it wasn't just something that people before us did or things that I heard they experienced, but it's, it's these are the things of God that I have experienced. It wasn't just that I had a grandpa and a grandma or a father or a mother that talked about the things of God. It means that this person says that I have experienced him, that I know, we sang it this morning, I know of the goodness of God. Now look at verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but we will but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. 
says we will not hide them from their children. We will, I paraphrase, we will not stay silent about what Jesus has done in my life. But I will tell those generations to come what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished, how he has sustained me. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it, we aren't given the details, but if, if Joseph had those little kids on his knee and he was really intentional, I, I am absolutely sure that old Joseph was telling this young man, maybe it was, his, maybe it was a grandson or a great-grandson, and he's too big now to sit on his knee, but he's sitting beside him, and old Joseph is telling him, hey, listen, you're about 15, 16 years old, and there's a lot of stuff going on in your mind right now. Let me tell you about, let's talk about lust a little bit. And, and let, me, let me tell you how God helped me when a woman kept propositioning herself to me. Because that story is there in Genesis. Uh, 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 or, or there's a great disappointment in somebody, and so he tells the the. The coming generations, you know, I kind of know what you're going through because I thought that I was going to get a position, but then I was forgotten in prison for two more years. See, that's part of the story. He passed it on, and so must we. We will not hide it. There are some of you who have never shared your conversion experience with your children or your grandchildren, and I, I really encourage you to do so. Don't, don't, don't be hard, and, and, and there may be some details of your BC life that you may not want to share, but you can allude to. So let me just tell you, or, or just be very frank with them if they're old enough and they can handle it. Just share with them, this is what Jesus has done in my life. Let them see it. Don't hide it from them. More importantly, live it in front of them. Don't say one thing and do another, but live your faith in Christ in front of them above all else. Listen to me, fellow parents, and I know that this is... This is, this is directed often at, at parents and grandparents and maybe even great-grandparents. But, but hear me on this. Um, we do a lot of things for our children. But I want to do something in our children. You know, we do a lot of things for our kids, don't we? We, we, we do so much for our kids. Um, we feed them. We clothe them. We transport them. We discipline them, we help them, we bail them out. It is incessant what we do for our kids. Can I get an amen? Oh, we do so much for them. The miserable ingrates. We do so much for them. <laughs> I only do that because I have a kid here today. Maybe one, and, and, I, and one of my kids is sick at home, and so maybe he's listening to. We do so much for our kids, and we're glad to do so. Come on, parents, we're just glad to do so. And we're just so thankful. We, I, find, I, I have found and still find a great deal of pleasure in doing something for my children. We do so much for them. But when we point next generations to Jesus, we do so, something in our children. We need to stop just doing things for them. We need to do something in them that will last forever. The one of the greatest responsibilities you have as a father, a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother is not simply doing something for them, but speaking something into them that will change them 
and will in fact change generations to come after them. What you do for your descendants can be taken for granted or forgotten. But when you speak into them what Jesus has done in you and through you, you will eternally influence them and generations to come. I don't know if Jesus is going to return in my lifetime. Every couple months or every few years, somebody says, yeah, he's going to come back by this such and such a date. I don't listen to that anymore. I believe that he can come any moment. He can come before the end of this message. Glory to God. I'll let him finish it. It's wonderful. He can come at any time. But I know this, that, that I still have some years perhaps of living to do, and, and, and I want to influence those who follow me for Jesus Christ so that when I'm gone, when I die, they will say, I knew a man named Gary who loved Jesus. I really don't care if they say anything else. What he did, what he accomplished, what he had, just he, he knew Jesus and he pointed me to Jesus. The second way that we will influence them Listen to me, it's through prayer. We talked about prayer last week. The second way that we will influence them is through prayer. For years, Joni and I have prayed for our children a line from the fourth verse, there's only one chapter, the fourth verse of 3 John. I want you to make it your prayer. Here's the verse. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Now, full disclosure, when John wrote that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was talking more figurative of his spiritual children. So be very, very clear on that. But man, it says children, and when I first read that many years ago, I said, oh Lord, that's my prayer for my children. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. And I want you to make that your prayer. I, I want you to pray that over your children. I want, you to, I want you to pray that if you're a grandparent, I want you to pray over your grandchildren. If you've lived long enough, and you have, I want you to pray that over your great-grandchildren. Lord, I have no greater desire. I have, I, have, I have no greater desire, no greater urgency, no greater passion. I have no greater joy than, than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth of Jesus Christ. I want you to pray. That, that's, a, that's a directive from your pastor this morning. Please pray that over your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm not even married. I don't have any kids. I don't, that's so far over. Listen, should the Lord tarry, he's going to give you children, and, and you can even pray this over them before they're here. Say, Lord, someday, someday, believe that you give me those to influence. But may I pray for them that they will know you. Pray it over them. It's a fact of history that in socialist Russia, for decades, millions of Bibles were confiscated and between 12 to 20 million believers were sent to prison camps simply because of their faith in Christ. This is not a, a, this is not a, um, a commentary on our... You understand why the, in, in, in a socialist country, you understand why 
persecution with, to Christians always comes right after that? It's because in a socialist society, the state or the government is the, is the, highest, is the highest authority. And so when a Christian says, no, there's a higher authority than even my government, there's this, this clash, there's this resistance. And that happened in Soviet socialist Russia. Millions of Bibles confiscated, millions of Christians hauled off to the gulag, the prison camp, simply because of their faith in Christ. Well, when the Soviet Union collapsed, Bibles were allowed and were suddenly and desperately needed. In the city of Stavropol, Christians remembered that confiscated Bibles that had been confiscated for years were stored in a warehouse out on the city's edge. Christian leaders received permission to retrieve the Bibles and, and they hired some laborers because there were so many, they, the Christian leaders, they couldn't all do it themselves, so they hired some day laborers to go and to help load the Bibles onto trucks to bring them back into the city to distribute them to the people who were wanting them. One of the laborers who was hired for the day was a young man who had been very skeptical and hostile and, and, and agnostic towards Christianity. And, and, and he wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He was simply doing it for the money, right? Just do this job, get paid, go on with my life. While he was loading the Bibles, this, this happened about 25, 30 years ago. While loading the Bibles, he, he, he hid one of them away. He, he picked one up and he hid it away. And uh, he stole a Bible, which, you know, if you're going to steal anything, steal a Bible. Come on. Right? You want to steal one of my Bibles? Steal my Bible. Really? I'm going to be going later on. If, if there's, this is up here. It'll be here. All right? Joni, get my Bible afterwards, would you? Yeah. Let me get up here. He stole a Bible. During a break, he slipped away, and a little later, he was found in a corner of the warehouse, weeping, almost in agony. He was weeping. It was shuddering his body. See, he had taken that Bible... He had taken that Bible and he had opened it up and on the first page was his grandmother's signature. <laughs> there, there were like thousands of Bibles, but the one he picked up, come on, God did that. The one Bible he picked up was his grandmother's Bible. Christian leaders gathered around. They said, this is a miracle. They shared Jesus Christ with him. And that day, that young man surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and was transformed. Grandmother was gone. She was long gone. She'd probably been one of those hauled off into a gulag and died there. But that young man found out that she had prayed for her family. She had prayed for not only her children, but her grandchildren, and by faith for her great-grandchildren. She had prayed for them for years. And that day, in a warehouse on the edge of the city, Grandma's prayers were answered. 
What a legacy. Share Jesus with your family. Pray with your family. Pray for your family. Some of you are far from your kids. Maybe even, and I don't know everyone's story, maybe even estranged from your children. You're separated. There's a conflict and maybe they want nothing to do with you. Maybe there's some, some kind of a... I don't know. I, I, I know this, that we must live it, share it, and pray for them. We do not know. We do not know when our lives will end. I am regularly reminded of the tenuous nature of life. How can you go on like that? But we, every one of us, must get serious about leaving an amazing legacy, the promises of Jesus Christ to every generation. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song that we sang earlier. I'm going to ask Joni and the team if they will come, but do not be distracted by them. Here's what I want you to do. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're at home, you're here today, bow your heads. Lord, first of all, I pray that every person listening will know you. That regardless of what has gone on in the generations before them, that you will invade their generation and that they will know you and that they will serve you. It happens so easy, Lord, because you're the one who did the work. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead so that we, with sincere hearts, can simply say, Lord, I recognize what you have done. I recognize also that I am lost without you. So I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. Become my Lord and my Savior. Forgive my sins. Change me. Redirect me. Come into my heart today. Thank you, Lord, that with that very simple and sincere prayer, we begin life with you. You change us. But you didn't change us just to change us, but so that we could affect the generations that follow us. You transforming my life was meant for me and for those who follow me. So help me. Help us today to do this to every generation. Like Joseph of old, Lord, we can look back 
we're also looking forward. Trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not done. I want you to stand, please. We're going to sing a song that we sang earlier. And I really appreciate it, by the way, how you... It's a new song. I think this is the first time we've sung it here. Maybe familiar to you from the radio or something. When I first heard it, not too long ago, I, I, I told Joni, I said, we, we got to sing this song. And, um, and then I put the message together and then I realized, oh, wait a minute. This is the same thing. It's from Numbers chapter 6. And uh, as Joni mentioned, it's the priest praying this blessing from God over the people. Speaking of generations. I'm going to close in prayer in just a few minutes but I want us to sing this and pray it. So sing it out. Come on, sing it like you're saved. Sing it like you've been transformed. Let's sing it together. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be Gracious to you, Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious. Lord, turn His 
faces in your mind right now. Great, great grandchildren. Persons that you've had an incredible influence upon who would regard you as a spiritual father or mother. Put them in your mind. Now, Lord, we come to you with these precious people. This life will soon be over, Lord, for us. It's fleeting. But should you not yet return, may they know we served you. May they know of the power of the God that we serve. And to that generation, and to the next, and to the next, and to the next, may they too receive the promises of God, salvation through Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, may the Lord keep us give favor to us. Turn his face toward us. Lord Jesus, may you give us peace. The storms in which we go through, your peace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in the power, in the presence, and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. These altars are open. God bless you. Be gracious, see.